0: Hi there, my name is Tim and my name is Luke and you're listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. We are passionate about recruiting. Each episode we share ideas
1: and insights into the world of recruiting from world-class recruiters and researchers. This podcast is for recruiters, HR professionals and anyone looking to improve their recruitment abilities. So today we're going to be talking about how stressful recruitment is. So today in studio we have Victoria Smith, after contracting shingles twice before the age of 30, Victoria knew that she needed to recalibrate her relationship with stress. I can only imagine. And now, years later, Victoria is supporting people to reduce their stress so they can actually enjoy their daily lives. And she does this typically through one on one coaching, sometimes group programs, live events, as well as workshops. And she calls herself a stress reduction coach and is the founder of her company called Stressless Lady. Victoria is really on a mission to help people stress less, live a little bit more, and make time for what what matters most to them. Victoria, thanks for joining us in the studio today.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Welcome, Victoria. And for our listeners too, Victoria is our amazing editor on this podcast too, (laughs) so uh, she might know uh, this podcast as good as anybody, perhaps even better than Luke and I as well. Well, I uh,
2: recognized your voice before I saw your face today. (laughs) Yeah,
0: all the way down the hallway there, so she recognized it. So welcome, Victoria. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, well, let's talk about you know stress, and we are going to focus more generally, but yep. uh, you know specifically in the recruitment industry, and we suspect, and I think both both of our experience validates this, that it is a stressful industry to work in. Yeah, you know the work never stops, and just when you finish something, you've got another ten requisitions. Hopefully, if you're busy there, but uh, we want to talk a bit about that, you know, and tell us a bit about your background and how you led to uh, starting Stressless Ladies there. So tell us a bit about your story then.
2: Yeah. So I was working in oil and gas for five or six years. I was in public affairs and I I thoroughly enjoyed the work and the job, but iron like like luke red like i got shingles twice i was constantly sick and then it got to the point where i was just very run down and once you start being out of alignment with your values i think that's where you kind of find you're saying i'll just stick around till the next bonus i'll stick around till the next you know pay raise whatnot you just start making these artificial milestones and not listening to your body until your body's like nope I will make you listen to me, right? And so following that, like the second, I I I told you it was twice. I clearly didn't learn my lesson the first time. Second time was while pregnant and, you know, that threw an extra – an extra uh, wrench in there. And then I went on this sort of wellness journey, ended up working in a nonprofit for a little bit of time and really realized once I started training to be a health and a life coach, you do all these hours of certification of with practice clients, no matter what people were coming to me with their job, their relationship, their uh, family issues, it was all stress, right? So stress is just at the core of it. And that became the focus. And it's just, I find it a really rewarding career.
0: So what, what do you do in your company then? Like, I'm kind of curious like, in terms of helping people reduce that, but what, what does that actually mean? What in terms of like, what does it look like on yep. a daily basis yep. or so yep. a
2: lot of one-to-one coaching with individuals, yep. uh, group coaching, they're really just walking people through a system to help them. Baby step-by-baby step reduce stress. I think people really want a quick fix. They want it to be done like that. But that's not how stress reduction works. It's not a weight loss pill. It's not a a quick fix program. You have to take these little milestones and build up the foundations to reduce your stress. So
0: So. I I think we'll get into some of those milestones here. But what do you think, You know, just speaking from what you know about the recruitment industry... Is it more stressful, less stressful than other industries, or is it just different?
2: I think there's so many industries that are experiencing high levels of stress. I would say the nature of the work that you guys do inherently is stressful. You're dealing with a lot of different clients at once, right? You're dealing with a lot of different recruits. You've got all these balls in the air. You're, I would imagine, quite tech-heavy, Right? emails, phone calls, uh, text messaging, everything, like you're constantly on a device and then you're dealing with task switching, which mentally is just going like, you know, how many tabs you have open on a laptop at once, you're doing that in your head, right? When you're going from one to one to one to one. And our brains, we think we're great multitaskers, but our brains say otherwise. And then you're dealing with a number of decisions, right? So have you ever experienced like decision fatigue where you get to a certain point of the day and you're like, I just anybody else make this this decision for me. Right. And so that's going to be pretty common in the kind of work that you do. And it's high stakes, right? You want to be probably the person that gets that person before someone else. You know, you don't want another company to grab them and you also want to make sure that they're the right fit so that your reputation is intact. So those are all pretty high stress environments. And then I'm, I'm just going to guess, you tell me, are you on your emails and your phone after hours?
0: almost every recruiter is, they, right? live on, they live on their phones. Yeah. For various so, reasons. so
2: then you don't have these boundaries and you don't have this downtime, which our bodies need to recover. And it doesn't have to look perfect. It doesn't have to look like I log off at five and I never check my email for the rest of the day, but you need even a couple of hours to just recalibrate, to sort of get some downtime in there. And then maybe you check your phone for another half an hour, or an hour. Like I'm an entrepreneur, I'm constantly busy, but you know, there's certain hours of the day that are just like sacred because otherwise i would burn out pretty quick
0: so i guess my first reaction to that is we're talking about environmental things so you yeah. see so your boss is emailing you, you have all this demands to some extent you can't do anything about that mm-hmm. I'd like to hear maybe challenge me on that like is it just well then it's a stressful environment that's why you get paid well or are there things you can do lessen that stress because there are yeah. some things you can't control. hundred
2: percent. Right? There's a hundred percent things that you can do throughout your day. I yeah. work with so many people, like I've worked with lawyers and tech companies who are like, you know, they're constantly busy throughout the day and they've got a lot at stake, basically. And so what can you do throughout the day? You can take these even tiny little meditation breaks, Right. Two, three minutes. It sounds maybe a little woo woo, but it makes a huge difference to people's clarity and getting them refocused and, and being able to get on with their day. Even a little bit of time for fitness throughout your day, making sure that you're getting good quality sleep, right? If you're on your phone right until the moment you go to bed, you're not getting good quality sleep and then you've got kids, right?
0: I've got three of them. Yeah. So So
2: do you feel you perform at your best when they are awake uh, throughout the night? (laughs) They oh, keep gosh, it up? No. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so we then choose these activities right up until bedtime that create poor sleep that then create a poor next day in decision making. Right. So there's actually a lot that we can take control over. And when you work with your managers or your leaders, like what are the boundaries that you can put in place so that everyone can kind of perform at the top level. But you're sort of sharing that load a little bit in terms of who's on emails, when or whatever that looks like.
0: I have found it fascinating again from my vantage point as a, you know, scholar, professor, former HR manager, et cetera, that people have a hard time leading upwards or pushing upwards, mm-hmm. or the fancy word is followership there, to push back on their bosses on this to say, yeah. hey, you know what? I'm not gonna answer emails after ten o'clock. Yeah. Or I'm out with my kids and I'd rather hang out with my kids instead of being on a call, etc. Yeah. Do you think that's part of it too? You know, gaining that confidence to push back and push yeah. upwards?
2: A hundred percent. Because especially if you're early in your career, which I would imagine many recruiters, yeah. a, a good chunk of them are, you want to perform, I, that was me in oil and gas, right? Like that was the first major job I had out of university. You want to climb the ladder, you want to do well and saying no, feels like it means you will not perform that well, that yep. you will not get the that other, promotion. The other
1: thing is in in recruitment is that, you know, if you're if you're not available and able to jump really quickly, you might lose a candidate or you might lose to a competitor. So mm-hmm. there's also recruiters are very competitive, they don't don't want to lose that, right? We we want to win. Yeah. So we also are willing to sacrifice our personal time because we want to see our candidate get that job. And we want to provide a service level that means that that the client who we helping is going to keep coming back to us so i think that that's a bit of a catch-22 for any of do, do you think
0: that's a figment of our imagination a little bit too yeah. just think oh if i don't get back to this client in the next you know 30 minutes it's going to go to somebody else or what if i just said to the client hey i've got this going on can i get back to you tomorrow morning like, do you think sometimes we put that stress on ourselves, and it's not connected, or do you
1: think it's actually real? You would lose a sale. What do you think, Luke? I think it's real. I've I've heard uh, directors of enterprise companies saying, you know, what's the di- when I've asked them, what's the difference between your in-house HR team or recruitment team, and when you work with a staffing firm? I think that's where the difference comes. A staffing firm are the ones who are going to jump on the line directly. And I hear that from their clients saying, that's what we want. We pay them a lot of money. We're looking for somebody uh, high quality and we're looking for them fast. So we expect that kind of service level. Otherwise we would just have an in-house recruitment team who are going to get back to me on Monday. And I've also heard that it's a, it's a difference in service level between working with staffing agencies in the US or Canada versus working with those in Europe. You know, in Europe, you're not going to get an answer over the weekend. It might come back to you on Monday. And I heard this actually from from a company, a, a worldwide enterprise based out of, with their HR or, or head of people in the US. And they were saying the biggest frustration is that they're unable to get a hold of staffing agency representatives over the weekend in Europe. So I don't think it's all a figment of imagination. I think some companies actually do expect it.
2: And, and I wouldn't disagree with you there. I think the part of the question is for the recruiters listening, right? What kind of quality of life do you want? And how long can you sustain that being on the ball 24-7? I think when we're younger, we're like, I am invincible. I can do this forever. It comes at a toll, right? So what is your willingness to? And, and I guess the other question I would have for you guys is, what is the turnover rate in recruitment agencies? How long do people last before they go somewhere
0: else? I suspect it's, do you know that, do you know that number, Luke? I, I don't know that off the top of my head. I suspect it's high mm. for the exact reasons, you know, it's not enough pay to compensate for all the stress yeah. and hours that they're putting in and eventually they want to jump ship. That's my thought. But yeah. Luke, do you know that
1: off the top of your head? I don't know the stats, no, but I think it's pretty commonplace that many recruiters reach a point of burnout after a couple of years. And so so I think that most recruiters would agree, with, would agree with that. So I think that's why this is such a great topic to be talking about. So, um, Victoria, at, at Stressless Ladies, you you most likely have an approach to help people reduce stress and, and bring joy back into their lives, especially recruiters who would be listening here today. But before we get into a few of those tips and, and methods to de-stress, can you maybe tell us more about how you created or discovered your approach and methods to de-stress?
2: Uh, well, so part of that would have been through my training, right, uh, at the Health Coach Institute where I trained. But another part of it is the more you work – one-to-one with people the more you realize like we need baby steps we need to see and it and it is that quick win philosophy right like if you can give someone a very small goal in week one that they can actually reasonably achieve then they get that little dopamine hit and then that gives them motivation to keep going and keep trying and build up that resourceful and resiliency right? If I was to give some, you know, if I was to tell you, you're running a marathon next week, you're like, why would I even bother? Right? Like, I just don't have that ability. So you need to give people quick wins that they can continue on with the process. So that's the biggest piece, I would say.
0: How much time, like your, your program is a 12-week program that yeah, you run? Yeah, typically. What, what's magical about 12 weeks? And...
2: Uh, four weeks is not long enough to see much change. There's this magical point, not for the right reasons, around five or six weeks where people tend to self-sabotage. And so you need to get people through that and then onwards to see more long-lasting results. Because we can all, we a lot of us, any goal that you want to take on, we're really good for four weeks. Five weeks, we start to go, oh, this is a lot harder to sustain. And then we just, we get in our own way.
0: Now... We, you kind of alluded to it when Luke was reading the bio there earlier too, but uh, you do focus on it's stressless ladies. Yeah. So why why ladies? And does, you know, some of the techniques, which we'll get into in a second, do they, do they apply to men as well? I'm kind of curious.
2: Honestly, the the core skills and tips and tricks. They apply to everybody. I would say that I am more comfortable working one-to-one with women because I have that lived experience, right? I would say women and men experience fairly similar levels of stress. The data shows women are reporting higher levels of stress, but my gut feeling is that men are maybe not quite as aware in identifying what they're experiencing as stress. I think you tell me, I think men are pretty stressed, right?
0: The, yeah, but yeah. the interesting question is: Is it different for men and women? It's
2: definitely it's definitely different, especially for women who become mothers. You know, you you've got three kids. You know, kids can be stressful as well. But women go through a whole different thing hormonally, right. prenatal, post postpartum depression, all those kinds of things. That and the, women tend to carry a different level of emotional labor. Right. Like it's not. And as far as we're making advances, and I'm talking really heterosexual couples here, but my, I have a super supportive husband and I can tell him all, you know, if I need help with certain chores around the house, he'll do it. But I have to ask. Right. And so I think women are ten, tend to be the list holders. And we know all the things that have to go on in the household and when the kids have appointments. And for the most part, like this is a big generalization. But so women just have different levels of stressor. Men have toxic masculinity to deal with. I can't speak to that. It's not my lived experience, right?
1: Is there maybe like a stereotype? You know, we often hear people, Some we, we identify people as being natural warriors mm-hmm. or stressy people. Is that a thing?
2: I think some people are more, ang- more anxious by nature. But if you're looking at sort of what are sort of some of the markers, I, th- I generally go with people are feeling overworked, overtired, overwhelmed. You know, when you constantly ask someone, how are they doing? And they're like, I'm good. I'm busy. Right. That's the go-to response for right. a lot of people. Everybody says that. Everybody yep. says that. Right. And it's like busy is this marker of success. Right. Yep. And the other things you'll start to see people tired, they call in sick more. Like, do you ever wake up? Well, I know you do because you've got kids, but like you wake up and you're like, I've had a full night of sleep and I'm just not feeling energetic. And every now and then that will happen to us, but when that becomes the normal, that's kind of a marker of something else is going on in your system that you just are not able to release in that way. Uh, Constantly feeling like snappy or just like can't handle the little things, you know, like Even driving here, I had a very angry gentleman at me in his car because I was going the speed limit and he was going 20 kilometers faster. I'm like, does this gentleman know that he's experiencing high levels of stress? Because I would say that's a very small thing to get that worked over.
0: Isn't that that a normal day in Calgary?
2: Oh man, like nobody (laughs) likes to follow the rules here. (laughs) So what can you
0: do about stress then? I mean, like I said, like we talked about before, there's some things you can't control. And 100%. I can't well, I mean I guess I could have back in the day but I can't control yeah. I have 3 kids now you know yeah. there's going to be stress associated with that but what can I do personally to and I want to say reduce the amount of stress I don't yeah. know if that's the right phrase but uh what can I do?
2: So uh, lots of different things, I would say. Ultimately, I try and let people know you're in the driver's seat of your relationship distress. We always think everything is happening to us. But when you realize how much control you have over your life, it's actually quite freeing. Like you can create boundaries for yourself in relationships, in the workplace around when I am available, when I answer emails, when I don't. You can create uh, other like physical health and wellness in your life, right? Like what you choose, the foods that you choose to eat can cause more stress, right? Like I am, I mean, and I'm sitting here drinking a coffee and that can increase anxiety. Or for someone who is sleep deprived like me, it is, you know, golden juice. <laughs> uh, then you can do things like creating uh, meditation routines or even just simply routines. Like what is your wind down routine when you come home at the end of the day? Like, do you even take five minutes of just like space or listening to your favorite music or anything like that so that you're not going from one high level high stress activity to the next because you know families or spouses like you know there's a level of that that the stress that comes along with that uh anything from mindset is a big piece as well like how are you interpreting what's happening to you is it happening to you is there something that you can do about it do you have a limiting belief around this you know a lot of us say you know that client's just a jerk right but it's when you realize well they've got other stuff going on as well they're doing the best they can you know, giving people that grace of we're all just doing the best we can with what we have gives you a new perspective on it and gets you less riled up. That takes time and energy and, like, effort, and it doesn't come overnight, but those things do make a big difference.
0: Well, you said something interesting, going from high-stress activity to high-stress activity. Yeah. and it just, you know, triggered in me, like, maybe even blocking off, okay, a five-minute walk or something yeah. different to de-stress and then go into the next you know you might have two clients back to back but maybe you build in a little half hour walk in the middle of that yeah. or something just looking at your schedule there too so you're not at that high stress the entire day but you have ebbs and flows in the day
2: 100 because like if meditation is not a thing that appeals to you exactly going for a walk without like headphones in right. your head right like something so that you're not getting extra input have you heard of brendan bouchard either of you i have not So he's a high-performance coach, and he wrote this book called High Performance Habits that is phenomenal. And he does this thing called the release meditation technique. Now, he does it all day long for absolutely everything, but it is essentially like giving yourself a couple minutes, kind of like meditation, releasing that energy of what you've just had. And then the most important part is setting an intention for your next activity. So if you've had a stressful call with a client, and then you just sort of give yourself a couple minutes, take some deep breaths to get the oxygen from, you know, when we're stressed, we breathe in our throat but the problem solving area of our brain is not getting any oxygen. So you need to take deep belly breaths, get the problem solving part of your brain focused and in function. And then you can set an intention for how you want to show up. So I want to show up for my next client uh, in a however, as a high performer, I want to show up uh, with clear headedness with decisiveness, like, what is that intention for how you want to show up? And then the confirmation bias from psychology is going to look for evidence that that is true. And it's going to boost your confidence in showing up that way.
0: Interesting. I think the temptation for all of us, and I'm saying us because I'm guilty of this too, yeah. if you do have that five or 10 minutes or whatever it is.
2: Do another you, email.
0: You do another, <laughs> or you pick up your phone and you're yeah. on Twitter watching people yell at each other. Or social media yeah. has often filled that gap. And I've noticed that with myself that yeah. it's almost like that quiet time stresses me out. Like I need something in my hand, something to look at. But if I step back and look at it. Yeah. You know my life too that's not always healthy as well so any thoughts on that well the,
2: th- the reason you need that is because our phones give us those dopamine hits right. our phones technology and social media and everything like that is acting like a slot machine in our brain like the brain scans show that our brains on social media and, and on tech respond the same way as when we're on drugs so <laughs> it's, it makes but, you feel like you're addicted Yep. Yeah. that
1: makes me think that you know, there's, there's a part of this kind of stress-induced environment that is, is part, it's part of our company culture. It's part of our personal culture. Um, and I think that there's actually many companies that take pride in being, you know, you see it often in job adverts. It's, they're advertising, oh, we work in a fast-paced environment. And mm-hmm. it sounds like oh, it's an exhilarating company that we're going to be working for because it's such a productive place and stuff gets done. But really, that kind of thing could also become a stressor in people's lives. And mm. I think that, particularly in the recruitment industry, that it, it, it is a fast-paced environment, and you you have to play the game or you're out. Um, it. I'm wondering if there's a part of a company culture that needs to be changed so that they can still be as productive, but they don't need to be as fast-paced and stressful. Have you maybe ever helped companies overcome uh, their, you know, the culture of stress, but without affecting their perceived productivity? So I think the
2: biggest piece is it starts from the top down, right? If you are not, if the leaders of the organization are not changing their behavior and their vision for the, what they want as an organization, it's not going to change as a whole, right? Because we've all had those managers, I'm sure, who have said, work-life balance, take vacation, don't email after hours, and yet they're doing the complete opposite. And we actually listen with our eyes and not our ears, right? So if they're doing the complete opposite, we're gonna do what they're doing because they're the boss, right? So it needs to start at the top. And then I think as organizations, you need to have a firm vision for what you wanna be as a company. Do you want, like, if, if your vision is high, fast, burn and churn, that's totally fine. That's your vision. And you'll attract the kind of people that want to work there. But I think that's probably my guess is why a lot of recruiters go from staffing agencies into HR, because there's some more stability there. There's some more flexibility, like their vision for what they want in their lives changes over time as well. Like, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. You know more recruiters than yeah. I do. Yeah. So the vision needs to be like, is your vision about filling the metrics or is your vision about something greater when it comes to client satisfaction and, and, you know, matching the right people and creating really uh, beautiful careers for them?
0: I literally had a conversation with the recruiter a couple of weeks ago. He gave me a call and yeah, he's five years or so in the yeah. staffing agency. <laughs> And wants to get into HR and is trying to figure out how to make that move. And is looking for my advice on that. But yeah. uh, he was kind of bored of it and just tired of it. Yeah. You know, and the the, the burn and churn there. There's a, there's a quote from Michael Porter. Now, he used it to apply to strategic planning for organizations. But it stuck with me, too, for a lot of things. And he's like, the essence of strategy is figuring out what not to do. Yeah, And I'm convinced, too, that sometimes that fast-paced environment, that uh, busy lifestyles, there's a lot of busy work in there that isn't mm-hmm. adding value. Yeah, And I kind of have a theory. And I want to hear your thoughts, Victoria, on this, that part of de-stressing your life is to figuring out those things that don't add value. You know, why are you, you know, at the end of the day, this report is good. You don't need to spend another five hours editing it. Yeah. Or is there something that you're doing that you don't even realize you're doing that you're just wasting time? You know, I yeah. think in the public sector, and I've worked in two public sector organizations, half of what you do in the public sector is attend meetings. And 90% <laughs> of those meetings are completely and utterly useless. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually sat down with teams. I've run like, why are you going to this meeting? Well, yeah. I have to be there. I'm like, no, you don't. It's a waste of time. Like there's yeah. an hour of your life that you could get back. But any, any thoughts on that and reducing stuff? Well,
2: I think a lot of us have been busy and we've been fast, but have we been efficient? Right. Right. Those are different things. And you're talking about like the value out of work. And I think part of that comes down to what are your values as an individual and what are your values as an organization? And I don't just mean the value or as a team, because we often, you know, organizations have their list of values on their website, on their wall. But are those actually what your values are for your team? Because they vary rarely match and when you can figure out what it is you value as a team as a recruitment agency then what is the work that doesn't match there what is the work that you can outsource what is what are the things that you want to spend most of your time and energy on right and and you see this across the board when people really focus on the on the highest level of return the like work of genius that only you can do you see better financial returns and then you see better emotional returns as well it takes a decision to to outsource some things or to stop doing some things but when you start like auditing your calendar to figure out what you're spending your time on and what actually made a difference that can be a real eye-opener for people
0: when i've done that with executives it's like hey you're making 250 grand a year and you spend 60% of your time attending meetings, literally, literally yeah. open up their calendars. Like we're paying you way too much money yeah. <laughs> to just sit in a bunch of boring meetings. Let's find a way yeah. to make you more efficient. Those conversations are powerful and they actually start to feel empowered out yeah. of that, even though they're making a ton of money on that, but feel empowered to say, Hey, you know what? I don't need to be there or I can trust somebody else to be there. And it starts to change that perspective. Yeah. So is there any other like tips or tricks you can give to people? For de I mean, yeah. beyond going to your program, which we'll talk yeah, about in but, a little bit, you know, but is yeah. there other things I could do, you you know, our listeners could do.
2: Well, so let's talk about the meeting thing, right? Because yep. a lot of people in, you yep. listening to this are still having those meetings. How many meetings have you gone to where there's not a clear agenda or there's not a clear outcome that you're wanting to achieve? And how many meetings have you gone to where you finish it and you're like, wait, what did we actually decide on? who was responsible for what? Like that yep. feeds into the decision fatigue, right? Yep. And, and the confusion. So always go into a meeting, probably make it shorter than you planned to make it, maybe even make it a standing meeting or a walking meeting, and just like be very clear, what is the outcome we're looking to achieve? What are the decisions we have to make? Who's responsible for it? And if I need help, who do I go to for it, right? And then everything is crystal clear and that minimizes it, right? And then even if you just, if team meetings or whatever, if they're once a week, instead of sort of all those drop-bys, and I made this mistake early in my career as well. I remember having a boss who like, literally a year out of university and his desk was like right next to me and I would just ask him all these quick questions and he's like your quick questions take up so much and like mental space from my time so he's like even if you can save them for like one email a day because he's like I get that you're new and you have all these things but constantly asking me takes away from my brain power and so it's the same for you and I in any organization that we work for especially open plan offices Those are the worst. Don't get uh, me started on that. And, well, they're uh, really bad for people's mental health. Yeah. And so the same thing, like, there needs to be some sort of signal on your team, like, when I'm wearing my headphones, do not bother me. You know, I or set a meeting with me for X, like, for 15 minutes or call on my calendar or whatnot. Like, we need to respect people's personal space in the workplace because otherwise we're not even getting stuff done. Yeah. How much of your day is just talking water cooler yeah. to people, right?
0: What do you think about and- – We've seen this over the last 10 years, partly because the technology exists yeah. so you can do that. But uh, one of the things we've seen, well, the solution to all of this is to let your employees work from home more. What are your thoughts on that as a strategy for a company yeah. or something even personally that you want to ask for?
2: I don't think working from home every day of the week is helpful for people. Um, but I think giving people the flexibility two, three days a week, I think is really powerful. Because I know for me, I got way more done when I was at home, yep. but then I was isolated. Right. So it was very helpful to have one or two days a week in the office when you can connect with people, when you can have those conversations, build connection because we're losing connection as a society. So to have that connection is really critical. But people want flexibility in their careers. Right. Like I truly believe that the traditional working world is not set up for working parents. And so to give people that flexibility takes stressors off of their home lives as well. Right? If I don't have to commute three days a week, what else can I do? Can I fit in a workout? Can I get to that doctor's appointment? Can I go to the dentist without feeling guilty about it? Right. And, and can I actually be more productive at the same time?
0: Right. Do you think there's the flip side of working at home is, well, like you said, there's ambiguous rules associated yeah. with it, but it's almost like you're never off either. Yeah. Because I, I have worked in jobs where I fully worked from home. I'm kind yeah. of a hybrid right now as a professor. You can do your grading from anywhere yeah. you want, but sometimes it feels like I'm never turned off. and never actually leave the office because the office is basically anywhere I open my MacBook.
2: So then I would say create like a more or less dedicated workspace in your house, even if it's just like that end of the table, and then have some sort of wind down routine at the end of the day. Like I've had a lot of clients who've worked from home and I'm like, play your favorite song at the end of the day. And that or something like Hmm. that. It's a very simple trigger, but it cues you that this is the end of the workday. I'm closing that door and now I'm moving into home life, family life, whatever that looks like. And I might come back to the laptop at 8 p.m., but, but at least I've closed this part of the day. Okay.
0: Any other tips you can give to listeners, you know, stuff that you work yeah. on with your clients there?
2: Oh, so many different things. Uh, I, I think one of the things I say to, when people are really overwhelmed is make a list of what you can control today. Because when we feel overwhelmed, we feel like everything is out of control. And when you actually make a list of what you can control in a day, you start to feel more confident and empowered. You can make the bed in the morning. You know, the studies show that even just people making their bed in the morning, people feel more uh, empowered throughout their day. And that's a really simple thing to do. You can drink enough water. You can go for a quick walk around. You know, between meetings, just around this building here, right? You can choose that's how you're going to talk to yourself. Yeah.
1: Do the the making my bed every day and feeling like i've conquered something for the day then in you know it's a bit of a a snowball effect and you feel like you can conquer something else in the day i totally agree with that one
2: 100 percent. and then when you go to your bed at night you feel more relaxed instead of getting into like a messy bed right like so it has this cumulative effect
0: I'm going to tell my wife that I I usually get up at five and I'm out the door way before her. So I'm I'm going to see if she'll do that for us, but I can't really make it with her still in the bed. I know
2: that's my, that's been my excuse for years (laughs) as well.
1: (laughs) So Victoria, what's next for you in 2020?
2: In 2020, honestly, a lot of um, speaking gigs. I'm about to be going to about five different teachers conferences across the province because teachers burn out real fast as well. Uh, And a lot of corporate workshops. I really enjoy working with organizations to help them build resiliency, both for their leaders and for their teams. Uh, Because I I truly think a lot of people think that they're in the wrong job. They just don't have the skill set to to manage that stress. And once they can do that, they kind of realize, oh, no, I really do enjoy this job again. And that's really powerful for me
0: well, teachers' conferences. You you mentioned you're going to be speaking at Social West as well. Yeah. My favorite marketing conference. Oh, I'm glad. Well, Stress
2: Less About Tech, that's what we'll be talking about. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Um, So why don't we, well, tell us a little bit more, and we've alluded to it throughout the interview here. Tell us a little bit more about your program and like the specific, you know, services you have to offer if listeners are interested in learning more about this.
2: For sure. So like the, I think for most of the listeners here, I would imagine your audience skews a little more male.
0: We no? don't actually know. Um, you don't know? Okay, fair enough. So we haven't figured yeah. that part out yet, but it's primarily HR recruiters, but yeah. gender, I'm not sure on. To be
2: yeah, honest. well, so I would say I do a ton of corporate workshops. That would be the, probably the best fit for individuals. Uh, one-to-one coaching, the... It's called Stress in 90 Days, my packages. So they you can either do that as a group or as an individual. The benefit of doing it as an individual is we're really just focused on you and your individual stressors, right? Like we can dive deep into it. But I do also have self-led programs online for people who are really busy or on a, on a smaller price point. And, oh, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I'm writing a book. Wow. I want it to be finished by next year, but that feels crazy.
0: I assume on something related to stress. Yes, okay. yeah.
2: <laughs> So yeah, that's what's going on in my life. Well, we
0: look forward to reading that uh, next year. We'll we'll have you back on to talk about your book then. Oh my
2: gosh, I guess that makes it real. There you go. No (laughs) pressure. We're putting a deadline on you, putting the pressure, and we're going
0: to stress you out by that. So how can can people connect with you?
2: Uh, LinkedIn, they can find me at Victoria Smith on Instagram, and uh, they can find me at Stressless Ladies or go to StresslessLadies.com.
0: Perfect. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation, and I think it's something, no matter where you work or what you do... Um, you can, you can learn little tips for yourself and, uh, you, yeah. you kind of alluded on putting words into your mouth. I can't remember how you said it, but I think taking ownership of that too. There are some things in our life that we can't control, but there's a lot we can. And you I think that's important. You can get in the driver's in our, seat. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, thank you so much, Victoria. Uh, Thanks this has been me. the Recruitment Now podcast.